Good morning. It is great to be with you. It is my privilege to be with you. And I think God's got something great to say today. And hopefully I don't get in the way of it. Now, if I was just reflecting this week, it was just over a year ago that I spoke here. And I remember the first five minutes I was a mess. It was a big journey from a, um, from a church plan into the season and the overwhelm got to me, and I don't think I got much out. It felt like about 10 minutes. It was probably 30 seconds, I think, when I went back on the audio recording. Um, but I felt then, I felt this overwhelming love. And as I've reflected on the last year, I feel that love is now getting to be reciprocated. And I really love this community. I love Paradox. I love you guys. You are this community. And I love what God's been doing. I've only seen the last year and a bit... And it's just amazing to see what God's done in that year and a bit. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see. I hope you're praying into it. I hope you're believing for it, that it's just the tip of the iceberg. And um, God is going to change, I think, our hearts. That's important. He's going to change the hearts of our city. And he's going to change the hearts of our region. And we get to be a part of that. Who's excited to be a part of that? A couple of you. I hope by the end of the message, maybe more of you. God is good, isn't he? I want to start by asking a question. It's probably something that many of you have asked yourself. What is my purpose? Who's asked themselves that question? A couple of you. I reckon it's probably all of you. I reckon you've probably all asked it at least this year, if not multiple times this year, if not every day. And when do we tend to ask that question? We tend to ask it when we're frustrated, don't we? Where we feel like we're in this mouse wheel and we're going so hard and running so hard and feel like we're going nowhere because I think we are made for a purpose. But what I'm going to suggest today is it's maybe not what you think it is. Maybe it's more concerned with your attitude and your motivation than the application or the job or the mission or the ministry. And that's what I want to talk about today. Well, let's look at Jesus' life. So is, is he our example? I think he's our example, isn't he? Yep, he's our example. So if Jesus modeled a life for us to live, then if I'm trying to find my purpose, I should probably start with Jesus. So if I look at Jesus' life, he loved, didn't he? There was nothing, I reckon, more or less than his motivation being love. So it was love that saw him hanging out with the people that everyone rejected. It was love that saw him hanging out with these rejected tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. It was love that saw him healing people. It was love that saw him multiplying food. It was love that saw him, I believe, going into the temple courts and speaking to these religious leaders that rejected him. It was love because he wanted them to find the truth too. It was love and ultimately in love, Jesus then goes to the cross. He dies on the cross, ultimately for us. See, I don't think Jesus was really looking for followers. He knew that that was our purpose, but he wasn't looking for this celebrity, oh, look at me, because he could have come as this triumphant king and said, hey, Everyone bow down before it. Everyone worship me. Everyone give me all of your gifts. But instead, he comes as this servant to love. Have you reflected on his life? Because I think often we look at his life and we think of all these 
crazy miracles and we think, man, there's no chance there that I can model my life off him. But the core of everything he did was love. It was love that drove every motivation. And I think love is Jesus' purpose. Jesus lived this over-the-top, extravagant, unwarranted, everything he did in love was for nothing that he got back in return. See, it's interestingly that Jesus heals thousands and thousands of people, but he knew that very few of them would follow him as a result of that. He knew that very few would follow him, but he still went and loved, because it was love that took him to... It's interesting, I love the chosen... Now, there's a great scene in The Chosen where he's healing person after person after person and the toll it takes on himself. Can you imagine that? Sitting there all day, one by one, dealing with each person and their needs and healing them. It's this massive toll and he goes back to this campsite and his mother comes and washes his feet. It's just an incredible scene. You don't realize the toll that all of these amazing miracles took on Jesus. It was love that took him into all of that. And then love that ultimately took him to his death. Now, we're talking about purpose this morning and finding our purpose. I believe the purpose of Jesus was love. I believe God's purpose in sending Jesus was love, that his life was love, that in his death was love. And then he rises again and it's love. And we see the first example of that where he restores Peter in love. And he says, Peter, go and love and go and love and go and love. And then he goes back to heaven and in love he sends the Holy Spirit that we too could do the same thing. Now when we're talking about looking for our purpose and we get this frustrated, what we find we're trying to do is we're trying to find the thing that that person's doing or that person's doing. So we look at these gifted speakers with all of these followers on the stage and we say, if if only I had that, I'd find my purpose. Or we look at this missionary and we say, if only I was that, I would have purpose. Or maybe we look at this wealthy person, if only I had more money, or if I only had more followers or likes or clicks or whatever it is that you want. I think we look at all those things and we say, that's what I want, and if only I found that, I would have love. I'm going to, I would have purpose. I'm going to suggest that if you had those things, you wouldn't have purpose. And I'm going to talk about more about that today. Now, when we talk about finding our purpose, it's a verse that often we reference, which is Romans 8, 28. And it says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so we read that and we think, well, what is my purpose, God? And so we start looking for all of these things. I know for myself, and maybe it's for you too, that we get caught up waiting for the perfect job or mission or ministry, and so we let our life feel unfulfilled, feel routine, and we keep going about our daily grind thinking one day it's going to happen. One day someone's going to notice me. One day I'll step into my purpose. But in reality, all we're really looking for is fulfillment. Well, all we're looking for is this me-setting thing. What is going to give me status? What is going to give me popularity? We're looking for a purpose, but what we're really doing is looking for attention. We're saying, if I was in that mission field, man, 
Everyone's going to love me. They're all going to give accolades toward me. They're going to get me to speak. If I was wealthy and I was giving lots away, man, everyone's going to look at me. They're going to say, man, how good are you? Or if I'm off on the stage and I've got thousands of people listening to my every word, they're going to say, man, that's what I want because I'm going to feel good in that moment. See, that verse doesn't say God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to their purpose. That's how we read it, but it says according to his purpose. So I've been called according to his purpose, not my purpose. So if I'm called according to his purpose, my model is Jesus. So I don't think Jesus, I know that Jesus, in every interaction, it was love. And I think that is the motivation behind him. And that's what I'm going to suggest to you today, that our purpose is actually in love. So we're looking for all these me-centered purposes. In reality, when we think of purpose, we're looking for satisfaction. More followers, more likes, more platforms, all of those things. Now, Paul describes what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says one of the attributes of love is that it's not self-seeking. Have you thought about that? How often do we love for something that we get back? That's what we spend our life doing, don't we? I'm going to love you because I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to pat you on your back because I know you're going to pat me on my back. I'm going to drop that $5 in the hat of that homeless person because I'm going to feel good about myself. See, I believe to the measure that we cost ourselves, we only... We only cost ourselves to the measure that we're willing to get something back. So if I feel like I'm going to feel better about myself, I'll cost a bit more. And if I feel like I'm going to feel really good and everyone's going to love me for it, I'll cost myself to that measure. But see, the moment there's no return is the moment I stop costing myself. See, the moment I think me is the moment love is gone. That's what it's saying. That's what Paul's describing. The moment I think me and what I'm going to get from this is the moment that love has disappeared. Love is not self-seeking. So why should we love? Why should we love? Because we look at Jesus and we say, He loved, and I think that's our example. And if you feel like Jesus' level is too hard to obtain, and so you disqualify yourself, or more so we stay in comfort. What are some other scriptures that talk about love? So let's go Old Testament, okay? I'm going to go New Testament verse, but it references Old Testament. So Jesus is in the temple courts and he's questioned by this religious leader. And the religious leader asks him this question. He's trying to test him. And he says, well, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And what do we think when we hear that? If you're not a Bible person, you should all be Bible people, but if you're not uh, remembering everything, we think of what's the most important thing. We think it's to love God, don't we? That coming here to church, praising worship, having Mark's awesome worship going, and that's what we think is love. Or we think it's uh, having prayer times, or we think it's reading the Bible, or we think it's going to a life hub or something like that. That is the loving God part. But when Jesus is asked this question, what is the greatest commandment, he responds. So this is Matthew 22, 37 to 40. It's not on the screen. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. 
this is the first and greatest commandment. And so often we stop there in our Christian circles. We think that's wonderful. Loving God is wonderful. Do you know, loving God is safe, it's convenient, and it feels so good, doesn't it? Worship feels good. Reading the Bible feels good. Prayer feels good. And then Jesus says this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like it. That word means equal to. So loving my neighbor as myself is equal to loving God. Equal to. It's not second to. It's equal to. And then he says, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So everything that was spoken in the Old Testament, everything that was written into the law, everything that the prophets had to say, which were the people that heard the voice of God and shared it to the people, all of that hangs in those two commandments to love God and to love others. There's something significant about this. Do you know what? Jesus actually takes two different references. So there's no part in the Old Testament that says to love God and love others near each other. He takes two completely different references from two different books of the Bible and he places them together and says they're equally as important as each other. It's significant. I didn't realize this until I looked up the references. I thought, oh, that's, that's just an Old Testament thing he's grabbed together and that's great. But he's chosen two different things and lumped them together and said they're equal to each other. They're equal to each other. Now, when the truth of that hits us, we realize that actually I cannot adequately love God without loving others. I don't think I can. I don't think Jesus demonstrated that. I don't think Scripture says that. So we think we can love God without loving others, but I don't think that's the case. What it says that as I love others, I love God. And I think if I miss that part, I think I actually remove love from God. Okay? I'm going to talk about this more. It's okay if it's hitting you between the eyes. Scripture does that, doesn't it? I don't think I can adequately love God without loving others. Now, the other reference to these verses is in Luke 10. So it's the same answer to a different question. The other question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what's the greatest commandment? And then what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I want to inherit eternal life, okay? I know this is Old Testament context, but it still applies. So Luke 10, Jesus responds to that question he says to the religious leader well what do you think what do you think you should do to inherit eternal life this religious leader responds with i should love god and i should love others the same reference so these super religious super knowledgeable they knew everything about the old testament law they came out with exactly the same two things the Old Testament law wasn't just about loving God, it was actually about loving others. And so we read that and we define our definition of love town to the safe, comfortable. Yeah, I can love others. We can all love others, can't we? We do it conveniently and we do it comfortably. We do it when it doesn't really cost us much. We do it, as I said, to the measure of love as to the measure of cost and so... The measure that I think I'm going to get back is the measure that I love. It's the reciprocal 
It's the feel-good love. That's what we're looking for. It's the pat-each-other-on-the-back kind of love. It's the kind that ticks a box of generosity and then we claim it on the tax return. It's the kind of love that is safe and clean and comfortable. It's the kind of love that smells like roses, makes us feel good and warm inside. That's the kind of love that we like, isn't it? Who likes that kind of love? It's not wrong. Come on, we all like that kind of love. It's not wrong to like that kind of love. Do you know what? That kind of love sent me to Cambodia as a missionary for a year. That same kind of love, that I'm going to feel good about myself. Now, going to Cambodia as a missionary, that's not wrong. But I realize as I read scripture like this, that I, had, I missed something. And do you know what? I went to Cambodia for a year. I loved people. I helped people. But really, I was fulfilling my own need. I was wanting to feel good about myself. I was wanting people to say, well done. I was wanting people to say, man, you cost yourself. You spent that much money going there for free. That's what I was looking for. But when I read Paul's definition of love, I realize it's actually not love because it's self-seeking. Now, I could have done exactly the same thing and gone to Cambodia with a different kind of love. I also think the result would have been different. Okay, lots of wonderful things were happened, but it wasn't love. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the love that's not me-centered. Good fruit can come from the me-centered love. Greater fruit comes from the love that costs us. That's what Jesus did. He cost himself and he goes, um, it costs himself through his light and it costs himself in his death. So that passage in Luke 10 now, I love the Gospels. So the Gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of the Bible that talk about Jesus. I've spent most of my time, I love to read at night, I put worship music on, that's my routine. Now, I've stayed in those Gospels for about a year and a half now. I love hearing about Jesus. And I love that as I look at his life, he starts to pinpoint areas of my life where I'm coming up short. And so what I know is that through the Gospels, when everyone, whenever anyone asks Jesus for clarity on something, or what does that mean or how, how is that defined, you realize you were better off not asking. You realize you should have just been quiet, okay? So if I ask Jesus, well, what, what about murder, Old Testament murder? He's like, don't even think bad thoughts about anyone. I'm like, man, the Old Testament's looking pretty good now, now isn't it? can't even not think bad thoughts about someone. Or we go Old Testament, it's like, hey, go and give 10%, tithe 10%, Old Testament. And that, that's tough, but I do it. And New Testament is like, give it all away. And we think, man, let's just stay in that Old Testament. It's pretty comfortable, isn't it? And so we have this context. It's interesting how God just unfolds things. So I'm looking up, we all have heard of love your neighbor as yourself. Many of us, if you've been in the Bible, heard that. So I look up the context of that. What's the reference to that? Now, the reference to love your neighbor as yourself is just centered around the Jewish people. So it's Jesus was referencing in this law. It's for Jews. So let's just think of our church community that have a quarrel with each other and they're supposed to love, love through that quarrel. So love them as you would be treated. So we have an argument in this community. It's love them as you'd be treated. So that was their context of love your neighbor and this guy sillyly 
asks, well, what does that mean now? What does love your neighbor mean? Who is my neighbor? And do you know what? Maybe we wish he didn't ask it even for us now. Because Jesus takes that box and he breaks it open, he throws it on the ground and he stamps on it. And all of a sudden he tells this story that opens love up far beyond what was originally contained. So this is the story. I'm not going to read it, I'm going to paraphrase it. So this is the story that Jesus references when he's asked, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And he says, this Jewish person, so a Jew is uh, one of God's people that came down the generational line. This Jew's walking down the road, he gets set upon by robbers, he has everything taken, he's beaten up, um, and he's thrown in the ditch left to die. So a Jew in the ditch left to die, everything taken, okay? This is the story. And Jesus says, a priest starts walking by. So this is a Jew that is one of the appointed people that's there to represent um, between Jewish people and their God, okay? So this priest is walking along by, he sees his fellow Jew, he sees what's going on and ignores him, he walks on the other side of the road and he keeps walking. Yeah, maybe those, those priestly people, they've got all these robes on and didn't want to get messy that day. Okay, so then he tells the next story and he says, then there's a Levite. So you have 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites are the priestly tribe, okay? So they were God's appointed people. And if anyone's going to help, it's going to be this Levite, isn't it? So this Levite's walking along the road and he sees this Jew over there in the ditch needing help. And so again, he's like, nah, steps on the other side of the road and he keeps walking. And who does Jesus use as the next example? It's the Samaritan, isn't it? So who's a Samaritan? The Samaritan is actually, um, so at one point, generations before, a Samaritan was a Jew that intermarried with a Gentile, and that was this new line of people. And so the moment the Jews came away from the Jewish people into the Gentiles, they're now rejected by the Jews, Okay. So we've got this whole line of people for generations and generations, hundreds of years, being rejected by the Jewish people. And so there's all this animosity and hate between each other. These um, Samaritans aren't allowed to come and worship in the temple. They're not allowed to come. They've got their own communities. And there's a lot of hate between them, okay? Justified on both sides through the generations. And so this Samaritan is walking along the side of the road and he sees this Jew, the person he's supposed to hate and the person that probably hates him. And he goes over and he helps him. And what does he do? He goes and he gets off his donkey. He patches this guy up. He puts this guy on his own donkey, fixes him up, bandages him off, takes him to the nearby hotel, puts him into the hotel, makes sure he's looked after medically. And he says, hey, hotel keeper, I'm going to come back in a few days and I'm going to pay for any cost that this guy has incurred. I want him to get well. And that's the example that Jesus uses of about loving your neighbor. What is your neighbor? I've heard that passage so many times. And it's confronting, isn't it? The truth is confronting because it's saying loving your neighbor is the least likely person loving the least likely person. All of a sudden, there's no barrier and there's no block in place. Anything I can think of that, that means I can opt out of this requirement to love people is now gone. 
because it's the least likely person loving the least likely and everything else in between. That's what he's calling us to do. Loving the least likely. So who is the least likely for you? Terrace? Yeah. And he's telling you to love him. That's right. Maybe the terrorist that just slaughtered your family and he's telling you to love him. There's no, there's no qualifier, is there? There's no qualifier. The person that you think of when I say that, who is the least likely, that's the person Jesus is talking about and everything in between. And you know what? Say that example of the terrorist. There's nothing to get back of it. Imagine if you helped that person. Imagine the hate you would get from everyone else. It's amazing, isn't it? Truth cuts. Jesus loved so extravagantly and costly, and he was never self-seeking, and he called us to do the same. And in doing so, it is equal to loving God. He says it's unto himself. The moment I help that person, that Samaritan, that um, Jew on the side of the road, if I'm a Samaritan, God says it's unto him, that loving others is unto him. That's what he's calling us to. Now, he further explains it in this passage. So I'm going to read another passage, and I'm going to stop and start and everything in between, and so it's not going to be on the screen, okay? This passage is in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And it's verse 31 to 46. Now, I'm going to set a scene. So I'm going to start reading, and I want you to picture yourself in this scene. As, you, as I read these words, I want you to imagine what's going on, okay? Because there's goodness and there is glory in store. This is how it starts. When the Son of Man, so Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in His glory... Can you picture the glory? Imagine that sight that's coming. This person that we've been following all our life. The Son of Man's coming in His glory. I love the glory. Don't we love the glory? That's what we're looking forward to, aren't we? The glory. We're waiting for this glory, the anticipation of this glory. So the Son of Man, Jesus, is coming in all of His glory and all the angels with Him. Not just Jesus and the glory. Can you picture it with all these crowds of angels? surrounding him, thousands upon, probably 10,000 upon 10,000, millions upon millions of angels coming in this glory. Put yourself in that scene. And it says, and he was sit on his glorious throne. Can you picture it? Picture it in your mind, the eye, close your eyes if you need to. It's this scene of triumphant glory. The person that we've all been waiting for, for thousands of thousands of years, comes back in all of his glory He's with his angels, and all of these people are seated there. All of these um, people are around him, and Jesus is seated on this throne. This magical, triumphant picture. Even better, all the nations will be gathered before him. Can you picture that? Like we're one of these people amongst this whole nation, a whole um, everyone, all of the nations, not just one. So all of the nations are there. We're all picturing this triumphant thing. Imagine how that feels to be with all of these people witnessing this. 
It's amazing by ourselves. Now, even more amazing that we've got all these people around us looking at this glorious picture, Jesus on the throne. And we're just excited about what he has to say. So all the nations will be gathered before me, and he's going to separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep on his right, and he's going to put the goats on his left. Isn't it great that we're sheep? Who loves being a sheep? Yeah, we love being a sheep, don't we? Can you picture that? All of the sheep here, and we're thinking, we're in this big crowd, all the nations gathered, and we're just thankful that we're a sheep, and this sorting starts happening, and we're thankful that we're a sheep. Man, I love being a sheep. Feels odd saying that, doesn't it? That's what we're looking forward to. It's like we're the chosen, we're the sheep, aren't we? Now, the king turns to us. We're the sheep, and he turns to us, and he starts talking to us. All of a sudden, our chest comes out. We're thinking we're a sheep. Thank goodness that we're a sheep, and we're waiting on every word that Jesus is going to say to us. What does he say? Come, you who are blessed by my Father. I think, man, I'm not just a sheep. I'm blessed by the Father. And the significance is setting in. Take your inheritance. Isn't that exciting? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It doesn't get any better. Jesus sets this scene of what's going to happen. He's on his, glory, on his throne in glory. The angels around, the nations gathered. Us as the sheep, we get the inheritance. We get the blessing by the Father. The kingdom prepared for us since the creation of the world. And he goes on and he starts talking. Remember, he's talking to the sheep. We're a sheep, aren't we? He's talking to the sheep and he says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And we're getting sorted and we're thinking, hang on, that's, that, that's not right, is it? Like, I'm, I'm a sheep. I haven't, I haven't done that. I'm not sure what he's talking about. But I'm a sheep. Like, I come to, I come to church and I worship. I pray. I'm, I'm in my Bible every single day. I give stuff away. I do what is right. I do the stuff that pats me on the back and I feel good about myself. That's what I'm meant to do as a sheep, isn't it? The righteous will answer him. Remember, these are the sheep. This is defining a sheep. The righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? This is defining the sheep and they're standing here. They know they've done those things, but they don't know they've done it for Jesus. And so Jesus is talking to them. And he says, whatever you did... For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. So all of a sudden, what I thought, the line I thought I was going into getting in the sheep, 
in that definition, I've missed something. I've all of a sudden missed because I thought we were supposed to just come and hang out in our safe Christian communities and love on each other, pat itself on the back and feel good about ourselves. But Jesus is defining this separation in a different way. And then he says to those on his left, this is the goats, okay? Now he's talking to the goats. And he says, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, that's harsh, isn't it? But thank goodness I'm a sheep. I don't have to deal with that, okay? And he speaks to these other people, the people on his left. This is what he says. Jesus speaking to the people on his left. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. For I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And I start finding myself on this side. And I respond to Jesus and I say, Jesus, what? It does, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Jesus, when, did, when, did, when were you hungry, Jesus? We, we start getting confused and we're getting in our head and it's like, Jesus, when were you hungry? Jesus, if you were hungry, I would have prepared this massive banquet. I would have bought the best food, the most expensive food, and I would have laid it out before you if you were hungry, Jesus. Jesus, if you wanted a drink, whatever you wanted, I'd make you whatever milkshake you wanted with all the cream and the cherries on top. Jesus, you want to close. Jesus, if I knew you want to close, I would have clothed you. You would have had the best of everything, Jesus. Jesus, when were you in prison? If you were in prison, I would have been there. I would have camped overnight at the front door. I would have been the first one to visit you, Jesus. Jesus, when were you sick? I didn't even think Jesus gets sick. When were you sick, Jesus? Because I would have taken care of you. And then he responds. He says this. He will reply, truly. When he uses the word truly, it means it's important. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It's just scripture. It's the verses that we read time and time again that God's been messing me up with. This is something that God has been doing in me and I'm nowhere near where I need to be. But this past week, like that's two years of doing stuff in me. This past week, he's messing me up because I realize I don't cost myself like he did. Now, I tithe, I believe we give generously over and above that, but do you know what? There's still elements of comfort in it. It's still comfortable, it's still convenient, there's still a feel-good factor, and Jesus is calling us to more. He's calling us to love, and he receives that unto him. The moment I'm, this is not, 
I hope you get this. This is not a crew message, okay? This is not, everyone knows that I'm involved with the crew and Lilia Haven and stuff. This is not that, okay? It can involve that, but it's not trying to get you to go and volunteer there. It's a change of heart and a change of attitude that comes in every interaction. Now, it's not just about feeding people or clothing people. It's not just about giving them something to drink or visiting them in prison. It's a motivation of love that costs us. That's what he's talking about here. That's what it says when I love my neighbor as myself. It's the motivation to love that costs us, where we get nothing back. It's easy, as I said, if I see the homeless person to go and put five bucks in there. You might think it's costing you. It's not costing you. I know from my, this is my experience. I know I put that $5 in because one, it's comfortable, it's convenient. I feel like I pat myself on the back and I feel like any more and I'm at risk of something else going on with that money. We do it comfortably and conveniently. What does it mean to love that person? That can still involve the $5, but maybe it involves inconvenience you when you sit down and you have a conversation with them. Oh, that's costly now, isn't it? I'm sitting down with someone that stinks, covered in alcohol, haven't washed their clothes for a month. They're mouthing off, they're a bit all over the place, and I cost myself and I sit down with that person. Or maybe I take them for a meal. We each have a choice. In your regular conversation, maybe that you have afterwards, I can have a conversation with you. In that conversation, I can listen or I can choose to love. They're very close, but the motivation is completely different. Because in my choice to love, I'm going to cost myself, even if I'm not interested in the conversation. Everyone's going to be worried about talking to me afterwards now, are you? I can choose to love. It's a choice. See, love is not a feeling or emotion, because feelings and emotions come and go, but love can't come and go. Love has to be there. It has to cost us. It's a choice that I get to make. That's what it's talking about. I get to choice how I respond. And do you know what? The good news is that God receives it unto himself. He receives it unto himself. That is what he's calling us to, the kind of love that costs us. Can I invite the band up? Do you know what? I'm thankful for Scripture, even if it's confronting. And I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful that today, like I've been repenting lots this past week, and I think I do this fairly well. Let's say that. I know that I'm way better at loving people that cost myself than I was five or ten years ago because I'm trying to make choices and I've got so much further to go. But God has been confronting me with the truth that I'm still not costing myself to the measure that he's asking. I think I find my purpose in the cost. I find my purpose in the love. I don't think it matters whether you're a preacher or a missionary or a business person or a mom, or you're a nurse, or whatever that is that you choose, I honestly think it doesn't matter as much as we put on it. 
I don't think we're supposed to come and spend the rest of our life trying to find this one elusive thing that we feel good about ourselves in. I don't think that's our purpose. I think our purpose is love. And that might take you on a stage preaching to thousands of people. It might take you being a nurse. It might mean that you end up on a mission field. But I think my purpose can be found in any situation I find myself in. My purpose to love can be found there. And so what we're going to do, because we're thankful for God's forgiveness and grace, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. You don't have to respond. You don't have to um, put your heart in that place. But I think it is true that he is calling us to a greater measure of love, that it doesn't have that same bubbly, warm feeling inside. It's more than that. It's going to cost. It's inconvenient. It's smelly and it's messy and it's dirty. And you're not going to have this warm, bubbly feeling. But you know what? In that moment, in that cost, it's unto Him. We all want to be the sheep, don't we? We all want to be the sheep. What's the significance of a sheep in the Bible? It's sacrifice. It's not the sheep that's the glory. It's the sacrifice of the sheep that is the glory. So we all want to be this glorious sheep. But the reality in the Bible is that sheep, the the glory that the sheep got was in the sacrifice. And so Jesus was this perfect lamb that sacrificed himself for us. And that forgives us and that redeems us. And then he calls us to go and do the same. As a sheep, I'm called to sacrifice my life, that it's not unto me, it's not self-seeking. It's not for the praise of man. It's for the praise of God. That's what he's calling us to. So I'm going to invite you to stand. as we ask for forgiveness, we're going to choose to go in a different direction. Repentance is a change of direction. It's a forgiveness from wherever we have been. Today can be a fresh start. I want you to know I'm standing here in repentance with you. Whether you're standing or sitting, it doesn't change whether repentance is going to happen. It's, It's in here. It's in your heart. And so you get to choose of repentance right now. And so I'm going to lead you in that prayer. So I just encourage you, if that's, if that's you, then posture your heart in this place because God is going to do a work in us. God is going to do a work in us. And then we're going to sing a song that talks about rebuilding our life upon the foundation that is His love. So let's pray.
Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We invite your love. We invite your power. We give you full freedom in this space to touch area of every area of our life that hasn't aligned with who you are. And so, Father, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that your word says that you freely give it to those who ask. So right now, Father, we come in full repentance. We ask for forgiveness for all those times where we've chosen to come up short. We've chosen not to cost ourselves. Where we've ignored love, where we played it safe and convenient. And so we ask for your forgiveness for that. Father, thank you for forgiveness. So we receive that forgiveness, Father. And in the eyes of true repentance, we choose to go another way, to walk a different path, to say we are going to love God, we are going to hang out in our Christian communities, we are going to do that, but we're going to venture outside of that. We're going to break down our comfort box and we're going to choose to cost ourselves, not for the praise of man, not for feeling good about ourselves, not for the warm and fuzzy feelings, but we're going to cost ourselves. Because people need love. And as we do that, I thank you, Father, that you receive it unto you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we commit our life to love. Not just the safe and convenient kind, but the kind that costs us, that costs us everything. So, Father, I ask for your prompting and your guidance. I thank you in advance for all of those times that we are still going to say no, but you still forgive us. But may it be few and far between. May we start making choices that change the trajectory of our life. And, Father, we repent for all of those times where we've been holding back for waiting for the perfect opportunity or the perfect job or the perfect ministry or mission and we forget to live each and every day to love you and to love others so we choose today we draw the line in the sand and we say no more and we say we're going to start to choose love the love that's not self-seeking the love that costs us So we commit this day and every day to you, that you would be glorified, that we would not be the ones that turn aside from those in need, that we would not be the ones that ignore the person in front of us, that we would be ones that stop and give attention and love to each person we meet, maybe for a few moments or for a few hours, but we choose to make our heart right in those places. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.